You're listening to a podcast from the Lakes Church in Cairns, Australia. I have a uh, prepared statement to read out from uh, the offices of Soul Survivor before our guest speaker comes. They told me to say, Mike Pilavachi is better looking than your boyfriend or girlfriend. Mike Pilavachi is funnier than your best friend. He is more spiritual than your pastor. He is the best prophetic dancer to come out of the United Kingdom since... Actually, he's the only prophetic dancer to ever come out of the United Kingdom. And he's paying me to say these things. Would you please be upstanding and welcome the Reverend Michael Pilavachi. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. That was very kind. Uh, I love it when it's really sincere. Uh, you may, you may sit down. Thank you. Um, well, that's great. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great. Um, uh, love it. I love it. We just spent the day in Cape Tribulation. Uh, it's the nearest thing to paradise I know. It's absolutely stunning. And, uh, and the Daintree drain- rainforest. Uh, it was beautiful. And uh, if, if anyone, um, is ever thinking of, uh, planting a church, uh, Port Douglas or Mossman Gorge or Cape Tribulation, and you don't have anyone to do that, um, I'm, I'll come. I'll come. I would, that would be amazing. All right. Uh, I changed my mind actually during the worship about what to speak on, and that's always dangerous because you, you know, you like, you, I was thinking from yesterday I would do one thing, and then during the worship, I just wondered, so I hope this is right, and if it's wrong, well, I leave on Monday. And <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I've been around for a while, and one of the things that, um, that I've, I've wondered often is, especially as a youth pastor, as a youth worker, is so often I see uh, some gifted, what we would call anointed young men and women uh, rising up and and uh, exploding on the Christian scene uh, like a firework and being really gifted and and doing great stuff and then almost as fast as they arrived they seem to disappear and then there are others that you know honestly I would never have given them a second look at first my 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 fault I would never have noticed them but years later. They are faithfully serving. They are, they are the rock of their church. They are the rock of, and, and they, they keep going. And, and I've often wondered, what's the difference? What's the difference? And, um, I think one of the answers can be found, uh, in the call of David, Israel's great king. And, uh, a little bit of background, uh, for those of you that don't know, Saul was, um, was anointed to be the first king of Israel. Um, but he really didn't rely on God. He relied on himself and uh, he didn't trust the Lord. And uh, so the Lord said to his prophet Samuel, I want you to go to a little town, a very little town that no one's ever heard of, to a man with a woman's name. And I want you to anoint his son, one of his sons, to be the new king of Israel. 
So Samuel um, went to Bethlehem, which was a tiny little place in those days. Uh, And he went to a man called Jesse. And uh, this is what we read. Um, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he, this is 1 Samuel 16, in case anyone is wanting to check that I'm not making this up. Um, if, if I think no one's checking if I'm making this up, then I might well be tempted to make some stuff up. That's how I rock and roll. Um, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. You know, the first, Eliab was the oldest son. And Samuel immediately thought, he immediately assumed he has to be the anointed one. He's going to be the new king of Israel. Why? Because in those days, in Israel's culture, um, uh, what the, the way it would work is the eldest son in any family would be the one that would receive the bulk of the inheritance, would be the one that would be expected to take on his father's mantle, would be the one that would be expected to do great things. And they believed that for very, very good reasons that have been scientifically proven uh, even in these days. Because everybody knows that it's the oldest in a family who is the best-looking who inherits the best genes, who's the most intelligent, the most sophisticated, the most... Do I hear an amen? Do I? I thought so. I hear those amens. Absolutely. Now, you can tell where I came in my family. And and so Samuel assumed it would be Eliab, but listen to what the Lord says. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Do you know when, years ago, when I first read this, I thought, that's a bit harsh, Lord. I mean, there's no real, why would you reject him? What's he done? That's a little bit arbitrary. But you know what? I misunderstood what the Lord was saying. He didn't, he never rejected Eliab as a person. He just rejected him for a role. And I, for example, I know with me that, um, um, God loves me. He'll never change his mind about me. He's accepted me and, uh, he'll, he'll never unaccept me. He is committed in his love to me. He's never changing. I'm secure in that. I know where I'm going, but he has made it very clear to me on numerous occasions that he has rejected me in a particular way. He has rejected me of, to, from being a worship leader in his church. And if you heard me sing, you would agree with God's decision. But that's not rejecting me as a person. That's rejecting me for all. And that's what happened with Eliab. And listen to this. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you know, that's how they did it in those days, and that's how we do it today, even more. We look at the outward appearance. We judge, our culture judges 
by how good looking someone is, by what shape, shape they are, uh, and not just physically um, and with their fashion sense, but even how successful they are, whether they're funny, whether they're a good laugh, whether they've got a big personality, uh, whether they've got a big house, uh, uh, whether they vaguely know some celebrity is usually the big criterion today. And our culture judges so much on the outward appearance. And tragically, we do that in the church as well. We look at each other based on gifting, based on personality, uh, based on, on, on whether, whether we're, we're fun or funny or whatever. But the Lord doesn't look at that. What he says to Samuel is, uh, the Lord looks at the heart. And what is he looking for? He's looking for a humble heart. He's looking for a teachable spirit. He's looking for someone who is willing to serve and who's willing to give and and not always wanting to be the star of the show. And uh, that's what the Lord is looking for. Because when he sees, it's you see, I've seen too many gifted people. I've seen too many um, people with great ability who they never lasted the course. I always wondered what happened to them. And yet, you know, the ones that stay... The ones that are giving, the ones that are serving years later, I've noticed they are often the ones that remain teachable, that remain malleable, that are always more asking questions than than giving the answers. Uh, They're the ones that are always wanting to grow. They're the ones that don't push themselves but live a life of service. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of him. That was the second son. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So after all seven came before, Samuel was puzzled. And it was like, but Lord, you told me that one of his sons would be king of Israel. So in his puzzlement, he says uh, to Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Or could there possibly be another one? And listen to Jesse's reply. I love it. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is looking after the sheep. I don't know about you, but I get the impression that Jesse couldn't even remember his name. (laughs) You know, are these all the sons you have? Or is there, could there be another one? Oh, there's the youngest, um, thingamabob. What's his name? Uh, what did we call him? But he's out there looking after the sheep. You know what? David wasn't even invited to the party. He was the runt of the litter who was left outside. And Samuel says, we're not going to sit down until he comes. And then the guy who wasn't even invited to the party, he comes in and the Lord says, that's the one, anoint him. And just just imagine how delicious it must have been for David. He was anointed to be king of Israel in front of all his older brothers. I mean, it doesn't get much flipping better than that, does it? He was anointed to be king in front of all of them. Now I just, and so often, I tell you, so often, so often the ones that God uses mightily are the ones that we don't even invite to the party. You see that all the way through scripture, all the way through scripture. Now I just want you to indulge me for a second in a little fantasy that I have. Just imagine if, as I'm talking to you right now, 
through those doors were to come at this moment Theresa May, the British Prime Minister, I think for a little while longer. And she says, stop this meeting. And she says, Mike, I have come from London with some news. Her Majesty has just died. Prince Charles is, is, he's, he's 17 now. He's too old to be the new king. And William, he wants to spend a bit of time with his little children. And there's no way we're going to have Harry. (laughs) So I have met with Parliament and we have decided to invite you, Mike Pilavachi, to be the new king of England. I told you it was a fantasy. If that were to happen, do you, much as I love you, do you think I would stay here one second longer talking to you? Not a chance. I would be out that door. I'd be getting a taxi to the airport. In the morning, I'd be in London measuring up for carpets and curtains at Buckingham Palace. That's what I would do. Do you know what David did straight after he was anointed to be king of Israel? It's amazing. He was anointed to be the new king. And the next thing he does is he goes back to looking after the sheep. Wow. Wow. And I want to suggest to you tonight that that was the secret. Now, we all love the anointing. I believe in anointing. I believe in God's spirit filling us and all of that. But you know what? It's not enough. Because the anointing can give you gifts and power. But if your character doesn't match the gifting, the gifting can destroy you. And I've seen that too many times. And so David goes back to looking after the sheep. And can I say, there were three things about looking after sheep in those days. It was boring. I mean, you know, you were just, you were, you were on your own. You know, David had a few sheep. There wasn't, you know, it was boring. It was hour after hour after hour just with some sheep, non-stop. And there's only so many conversations you can have with sheep. Unless, of course, you're from New Zealand. I'm looking at a Kiwi there. And uh, there's only so many conversations you can have. So, so one, it was boring. Secondly, it was lonely. You're on your own. You're on your own on the backside of a hill, hour after hour after hour. And thirdly, it was hidden. Whether you were a good shepherd or a bad shepherd, only the sheep would know, and they weren't going to tell anyone. There was no shepherd of the year competition you could win. Whether you did a good job or a bad job, it was hidden. And I want to suggest that it was in the boring, the lonely, and the hidden place that God prepared David to be king of Israel. And we we rail against our culture. Our culture hates, hates the boring, the lonely, and the hidden. Oh, my goodness, we can't be bored. Oh, my goodness, let's, let's get a fix of something. Let's have something to occupy us. Oh, let, let's, let, let's, let's have six million Facebook friends so that we're not lonely, as if that makes you not lonely. And, and, and I want to be the center. 
You know, I'm going to tweet, I'm going to Instagram my favorite photos and my best quotes. And all of that stuff. And you know what? That doesn't provide depth. And you see, for David, he learned every lesson he needed to be king of Israel in the boring, the lonely, and the hidden place while he was looking after the sheep. He was Israel's great worship leader. I mean, his songs are in, still in the, in the CCLI Christian charts. I mean, he wrote a whole load of the Psalms. And his most famous song, the one he's known for more than any of the others, number 23 in Israel's hymn book, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Where do you think he wrote that? I don't think for a moment he wrote that in a palace. I think he wrote it at three o'clock in the morning on the backside of the hill, playing his harp while the sheep were asleep. Where do you think he got the inspiration? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He learned to be, he learned the harp while he was looking after sheep. He, he formed his best song in that place. It was his inspiration. Uh, David was a great warrior. If you just turn from 1 Samuel 16 to 1 Samuel 17, you'll see the confrontation he had with Goliath. And, uh, and the, the, the Israelite army were facing the Philistines and the Philistines had someone in their army who was even bigger than me. And Goliath came out and he said, come on, one of you, come as a representative of your people. And, and if I beat you, I've got you all. And if you beat me, then we'll be your slaves. And they were all afraid of the giant. And little Dave turns up. His dad sends him to bring a picnic to his older brothers who were fighting in the army. Now just think about that. He was, he knew he'd been anointed to be king of Israel, but he came to still serve his older brothers and bring them a picnic. And do you know, he sees what's going on. He sees everyone's afraid to fight the, the giant Goliath. So he goes to Saul and he says, I'll fight him. And Saul looks at him and he says, what are you talking about? Have you seen the size of him? He's been a fighting man since his youth. And look at you, you're just a little boy. What makes you think you can defeat the giant? Do you know what David said? He said, your servant has been practicing Kung Fu. <laughs> he doesn't, didn't say that, did he? Oh, some of you are following. He didn't say that. Do you know what he said? He said, your servant has been looking after sheep. Now, I don't know what gets you in the Australian army today. But if you applied to join the British army, and on your interview, you were asked, what do you think qualifies you to fight for Britain and defend our nation against any enemy? And you said, well, I've been hanging out with sheep. The chances are you wouldn't get in. But you see, David explains. He says, your servant has been looking after his father's sheep. And while I was doing that, when a lion or a bear came to attack the sheep, I killed the lion and the bear. This Philistine will be like one of them. And you see, he learned how to be a warrior 
in the lonely place, in the boring place, in the hidden place, when no one was looking. And of course, that's where he learned to be the great shepherd of Israel. Because people are a lot like sheep. So the Bible tells us. We're a lot like sheep. And, and you know, I've seen it again and again and again. And, and we live, as I said, in an instant society. We're the McDonald's generation. We're the society of the Big Mac. Yeah, I, I don't know if you have it here yet, but, um, you know, I just got used to Amazon because I'm old. And then a little while ago, we had Amazon Prime where it's like you order it and it arrives the next day. And then now we've got this Amazon Prime Prime thing in England, where you order it and it arrives in two hours. It's like, flipping heck, this is amazing. And you know what? We want everything instant. You know, if I go into into McDonald's and I, I order my Big Mac and fries, and if it's not there in seconds, I'm moaning. I want to call this a fast food restaurant. I mean, what are they doing? Are they out the back killing the cow? I mean, honestly, come on. I just want, I should have it now. I'm I'm not going to wait. If if they don't bring it soon, I'm going to ask for my money back and I'm going to Burger King. I'm going somewhere else. And we want everything now. We are, we are the Big Mac generation. And I I, I need to tell you, because I say this in all humility, there, there are some things that I am an expert in. I know better than any of you. And in fact, I am probably the world's foremost authority. Food. <laughs> and a Big Mac, a Big Mac, may I tell you, it may be quick, it may be instant but it's not very nutritious. And it's not, and it doesn't, and I don't know about you, but it does not fill you, does it? I mean, I'll have a Big Mac, and and 15 minutes later, I want another one. I mean, it's, do you know, I'm just talking about it, and I can smell it. It's bizarre. That's actually scary. Can anyone else suddenly smell? Anyway, it doesn't matter. And it's, and the thing is, it doesn't do you a lot of good. And if you if you base your diet on Big Macs, life will not be good for you. You will get clogged up. You know, it's not good. A Big Mac is instant, it's quick, and it's cheap. And that's what you get. But there is a restaurant. Excuse me. What church is he from? There is, there is a restaurant. 30 minutes drive from my house called the Sahara Lounge. It does the most unbelievable Lebanese food 
you could ever flipping imagine. And George, the head waiter of the Sahara Lounge, and I have become best friends. We are inseparable. And whenever I walk in, and, and, and he hears me before he sees me, because I have to climb the stairs, he, I, he says, why is that funny? He says, he says, is that my friend Michael come to see me? And I say, George, your friend Michael is here. And he says, Michael, come to your seat. I have my own place. And I sit down and George brings me the menu. And he says, do I need to bring you the menu or will you have your usual? And I say, George, I'm going to have my usual. And my usual is nearly everything on the menu. It is, it is. No, we bring it and all these, there's hummus, there's, there's tzatziki, there's, oh, it's everything. There's, 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 I mean, it's just, it just goes on and on and it's, and it's stunning. But of all the dishes in the Sahara Lounge, the most amazing, the most incredible is the chicken. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, chicken is chicken. What's he going on about? No. No, 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 no. Chicken is not chicken. There is chicken and then there is Sahara Lounge chicken. And Sahara Lounge chicken, I'm telling you, it, you, you, you take it and it melts in your mouth. And you just never want it to end. And it's like, have I died and gone to heaven? No, I'm still on earth. I'm tasting heaven on earth. And it is stunning. And it, you just, it, it, it's, you know, sometimes with chicken, it can get dry, not, not the Sahara Lounge chicken. And once I said to George, I said, George, please tell me, what does chef do? And George said, Michael, if I told you, I would then have to kill you. <laughs> and then I said, please give me a hint. And he said, I can't tell you the secret recipe, but I will tell you this. Chef takes the chicken and he marinates it in a secret blend of herbs and spices and oils. And I'm pretty sure yogurt is in there somewhere as well. And he, he marinates it for three days and three nights. And then after three days and three nights, he cooks it slowly, very slowly. And after he's done it, it just melts in your mouth and your taste buds go crazy. Here's the burden of my message tonight. Do not be a Big Mac Christian. Be a Sahara Lounge chicken Christian. There's too many Big Mac Christians. Cheap, not nutritious, not good for anyone. But if you, God wants to take you and he wants to marinate you and then he wants to cook you slowly... 
He wants to cook you slowly so that you taste delicious to a broken and hurting world that is desperate to see authentic Christianity and not the shallow, cheap version. Put your roots deep. And you know, you know how it happens, how you can be a Sahara lounge chicken Christian by allowing God to put you in the boring, the lonely, and the hidden place for a season. And as you do, he teaches you there. He forms you there. He molds your character there. Character doesn't form in an instant. You can't have fast food character. Character forms over over a season. And we we don't like waiting. In our instant world, to wait is, is there something wrong if you have to wait? But really good things come to those who wait. They really, really do. And do not despise the day of small things. Do not despise um, the, the little hidden things. You know, in an age where, where, where everything we do has to be Instagrammed, Twittered, Facebooked, everything has to be pu- publicized, invest in obscurity. Find Christ in the hidden places. Let him mold you when no one's looking. And you'll be amazed at even in those places what he can do. I'm fin- I finish with this. This is an absolutely true story. Um, 24 years ago, when I was three... Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 24 years ago, I was invited to speak at a youth camp in Finland, um, uh, near the center of Finland, by a town called uh, um, Uvascula. And it was a camp by a lake. And um, I went there, and uh, I spoke. And, and um, on the second afternoon, this kid came up to me, this young lad, and um, he asked if he could chat with me. And I said, okay. And he said, can we go somewhere private? Um, I don't want anyone to overhear what I want, what I want to talk to you about. And I said, I saw a bench by the lake. I said, well, there's a bench by the lake. Why don't we go and sit on the bench? And he said, okay. And when we sat down, he said to me, my name is Timo and I'm 16 years old. And, uh, uh up until the age of nine, um, my dad, um, who was alcoholic, would come home regularly at night and he would beat me up and he would beat my mum up. And I was too small to defend myself or my mum and it was frightening. And he would just he would just get violent and he would hurt us. And then one day when I was nine, my dad left home and he never came back. And to this day, I don't know if he's alive or dead. To this day, I don't know where he is. And then he said to me, and I'm conflicted. I'm, I feel depressed. I feel like I've, I've got no future. Um, I, I, and I don't know what I feel. I, I'm full of hate to my dad. But then at the same time, I want to know if he's okay. And I want to know, and I, I just wonder what he's really like. And I, I, I'm just confused. And he told me his story, and, and it was just really sad. 
I listened to him, we talked, I prayed with him. The next afternoon, he came up to me again. He said, can we talk some more? We went back to the bench by the lake and he told me this time that he'd made a vow to himself, a promise to himself, that he would never ever get married or have children. Because he said to me, I've got my dad's DNA in me and I'm scared that I could do to my wife and kids what my dad did to my mum and me and I never want to go there. So I've decided I'm not never going to get married or have kids. And he was just telling me how he had no hope for the future. No hope. And, and he said to me, when Christians, they start talking about God is father, I want to hit them. Because I don't want God to be my father, because the only father I've known has done all that to me. Well, I listened, we prayed. And then on the third afternoon, he asked to talk to me again. And at the end of the afternoon, they were going to take me to the airport and I was going to fly home. So it was my last afternoon. So we went back to the bench overlooking the lake. And on this afternoon, there was a cool breeze blowing from the lake. And and he was just wearing a T-shirt, but I was wearing this jumper that was my favorite ever jumper. I'd bought it in Norway and they really know how to make good jumpers. And it was it was brilliant white wool. It was really thick, and I don't know how to put it. It was, well, it was my size. It was extra, extra, extra medium. <laughs> and uh, and I loved that jumper. And after a while, Timo said, hey, actually, could we go inside? I'm I'm getting quite cold. And then I felt the Lord say to me, Lend him your jumper. Now, when I say I felt the Lord say to me, it wasn't like, hear ye, hear ye, God calling Mike, are you receiving me? Tablet of stone on its way down, duck. It wasn't anything like, it was like, oh, I just had, the way it works is, oh, I just had a thought. That's a funny thought. Could that be indigestion or could it be you? <laughs> and there's only way to find out. You see, in my case, often it's indigestion, especially after I've been to the Sahara Lounge. And... uh <laughs> But, you know, it was like, I just felt the Lord say to me, lend him your jumper. And my first response was, no, let him get his own jumper. This is my flipping jumper. But you know what it's like with, with Jesus? He insists, doesn't he? So after a while, I said, hey, Timo, if you're cold, why don't you borrow my jumper? And he said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, yeah, borrow it. And he said, won't you be cold? And I said, oh, no, I've got inner layers of which you know not. I have central heating. And uh, he put the jumper on, and to be really honest with you, he looked absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it was like a dress on him, and it was way too big, and you couldn't see his hands, they were somewhere in the sleeve, and he looked ridiculous. But after a while, as we were talking, I noticed he was just going like this on the jumper, and he said, hey, this feels really nice, this jumper. This feels really nice. And then to my absolute horror, I felt the Lord say to him, say to me, give him your jumper. Well, at this point... I was seriously considering becoming a Buddhist. (laughs) It was like, it's my favourite flipping jumper. It doesn't even fit him. Why should I give him my jumper? What's he going to do with my jumper? Is he going to, is he going to wear it as a dress? I mean, why? It's the only jumper I've ever really liked. And, and I was, and, uh, but he just, the Lord kept saying, give him your jumper. So in the end, I gave in. I said, Timo, if you like the jumper, you can keep the jumper. And he said, are you serious? Do you mean it? I said, yes, I'm serious. (laughs) 
And he said, that's really nice. Anyway, then I said goodbye to him. They took me to the airport. I flew home and I spent the journey home moaning at God because I was going home minus a jumper. And it was like, it's not fair. What's the point? And, and I remember I moaned at him for a while and then I forgot it. Well, some years ago, in fact, it was eight years ago, I was invited back to Finland. And um, I was invited to speak at the um, uh, pastors' conference, leaders' conference of the evangelical churches of Finland. And they met in Turku on the south coast. And when I arrived, I was introduced to my translator. And uh, we went through my talks, because Finnish is a funny language. And and it was just, you know, to make sure that the phrases could be translated and there wasn't anything unusual. And then I'll be, I'll be really honest with you. I spent half my year traveling in different countries. And I love it, you know, because I go places. And then I go places like Cape Tribulation. And I keep thinking I might plant a church there. And, uh, and But if there's... If there's one negative to traveling, and nearly everywhere I go, there's always someone who thinks I'm going to be interested in looking at photos of their family. <laughs> I, so I don't know why they think that, but it's like it gets in fle- everywhere I go. There's always someone. Oh, would you like to look at some photos of my family? And it's like I want to say to them, just look at me. Just look at me for a minute. Is there anything about me that suggests to you that I have any interest in looking at photos of your phone? But I don't say that. You know, I say, oh, this is why I've come. I mean, it's just, (laughs) please show me. Well, my translator, he said to me, would you like to see photos of my of my family? And I said, oh, all my life I have been waiting for this moment. And then he said, this is my wife. Isn't she the most beautiful person, the most beautiful woman you have ever seen? And I looked at the photo, and to be honest with you, she was all right <laughs> for a fin. And, uh, uh, but I, I've learned how to play the game. So I said, oh, my word, you are such a lucky man. I mean, how did you manage to, to ha- get a wife? Oh, oh she's amazing wonderful and he was really pleased with me so he said wait till you see my two little girls and then and then he showed me the photos of his two little girls and and i said please please take the photos away from me they're blinding my eyes are they little girls or could they possibly be angels in disguise well he was really pleased about that and we got over it we got through the the week and i did the talks he translated we got to the last meeting and before it started he said to me Before you speak tonight, I'm going to speak and say something. And I thought, I'm sure that's not how it's supposed to work, but it's not my gig. Okay. And he got up, and this is absolutely true. This is absolutely true. He got up, and he said, and he spoke in Finnish and in English, so I would understand. And he said to everyone, my name is Timo. I am 32 years old. 16 years ago, when I was 16, I went to a camp in the center of Finland by a lake. Mike was the speaker. I don't think he remembers me. And he listened to me for three afternoons, telling him about the pain I was going through and how I felt I had no hope in life because of my dad's beating me up and then disappearing. And then on the third day, 
Um, he lent me his jumper, and I said I liked it. And so he gave me his jumper, and then he left. And the thing that he didn't know is that when he gave me his jumper, it was the thing that changed my life. He said, up until then, I had never received a present from anyone. Until my dad, until my dad left, he never gave me a present for my birthday or for Christmas. And then after he left us, we were really poor. And my mum and I agreed with each other that we knew we loved each other. We wouldn't waste money on presents that we didn't have. And then I was telling this stranger about how I was hurting and I had no hope. And this stranger gives me his jumper. And I could tell that it meant a lot to him. And then God spoke to me. And I felt God speak to me and say, you see, there's always hope. I, I, can, I can change things. I'm closer than you think. So I began a journey, he said, of wholeness. And I had made a vow that I would never get married and have kids. And now I've got the most beautiful wife in the world and two wonderful little girls. And, and I have been significantly healed. And then he reached down into a plastic bag. And he took out the jumper. It was grey by now. <laughs> he took out the jumper and he turned to me. And he said, Mike, I never thought I would see you again. But I've kept this jumper for 16 years. Today, I give it back to you. It's done its job. That jumper is in my wardrobe it will stay there until the day I die. And honestly, there are times when I think, oh, life's a bit hard now. I feel like I'm, I'm in a lonely place. I'm in a hidden place. I'm in a difficult, I'm in a boring place. I'll go and I'll look at that jumper. And God gave me the joy 16 years later. Something that I'd forgotten about that he used it to change someone's life, and I had no idea. Do not despise the day of small things. Let God work in you. Let God work in you. Do not be a Big Mac Christian. Be a Sahara Lounge chicken Christian. Let God marinate you. Let him cook you slowly, because he wants you to taste delicious to a world that is looking for the real thing. Not a plastic substitute. The real thing. We've landed. And now we're going to see what happens. Because I've got no idea. <laughs> could do a tap dance. <laughs> or we could just wait on the Lord. That's a better idea. Just going to invite the Holy Spirit to move among us. And as we did for those that were here yesterday, we're just going to wait. And, um, you know, I just say this. I'm really relaxed about this. If he does more, we stay here longer. If he does less, we can all go and get some ice cream. <laughs> Can't lose, really. <laughs> it's up to him. 
I'm not going to try and make anything out. We're not going to try and force anything. We're not going to have the Holy Spirit keyboard playing in the app background to set the the ambient atmosphere. We're just gonna we're just gonna wait for a bit and we're gonna see what happens. And after a while, the band will come up and they'll lead us in worship as we pray. And I just want to encourage you, just relax. Just relax. You don't no one has to do anything. No one has to make anything happen. We're just gonna wait for Jesus. Alright? And Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Would you move in this place? Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us? And I say your kingdom come, your will be done, in this place as it is in heaven. Come and meet with us. And Lord, there may be some of us that felt we've been in a the boring, the lonely, and the hidden place for a lot of our lives. Lord, show us your purpose. Show us what you want to do if, in, in us in that place. And I thank you, Lord, that you want to meet with all of us and you want to take us all deeper into you. And then you want us, Lord, to be your representatives representing your love and your life and your kindness to a boring, to a broken and hurting world. Come, Holy Spirit. We wait for you now. Now just wait. No one needs to pray or sing or do anything. Just wait for him.